spirit leading this realm There's a God up in heaven, there's a devil in hell There's a mother, she's crying, cause her babies are dying And the father in jail, with a son by his side But our father, he loves us, unlike any of us Gave his only beloved, 316 on the cross I know where you're going, if you live in that light Don't be perfect among us, but in the dark we are light Spreading the news If you live in a lie You ain't gonna die with the truth This is Matt and Mom Live It's real, it's raw, it's relevant The show is about the topical, the conversational But most importantly, the purposeful We hope to develop and distribute hope to the broken We pray that this show blesses you today Alright, we're back at it again This is Matt and Mom Live It's real, it's raw, it's relevant What an honor and privilege it is to speak into your lives From the depths of our experiences, Mom We've been in so many different threads entering the new year Mainly resolutions, being resolved Having a resolute about you To come through with the words you speak So today we're going to kind of transition from the words we speak To the testimony that we have And mainly the idea is many people think they don't have a testimony because they've never been through anything. But that right there could be the very ingredients of a very gracious testimony, which means your testimony isn't always what you've been through. Sometimes it's even what God has kept you from. So God has equipped every believer by the words of their mouth to overcome this world, and it's called a testimony. Yeah, you even uh, you did a sermon on it recently, and you basically talked about being a witness, and that's really what a You're witness testifying. does is testifies. And you know, Matt, the interesting thing is the Bible is a book full of testimonies, all full types. of witnesses, all types. You know, whether it's the uh, prostitute or whether it's just someone that showed up and was you know climbing to the top of a tree like Zacchaeus to hear Jesus speak. Sure. So I believe that the good and the bad and the ugly are all in there for a reason because it it doesn't matter if it's all good. Right. If God is at work in your life, then we should be declaring that. And and kind of if you like can recap something from your uh sermon on taking the stand that really touched me was the idea that people are watching and listening and our testimony is that. It's that which we bring forth in our everyday life. It's not some spectacular platform of someone who was a former drug addict or somebody that, you know, had some terrible traumatic experience happen. Sure. Mainly the, the ultimate testimony is God's transformation power on your life that he's, he's changed you. Um, from what? Well, basically, I used to be a sinner. I used to indulge. Uh, maybe you had some hidden sins. Maybe some public sins. Nonetheless... It's that transformation. That's your ultimate testimony. So you're, you're a witness to God's character. At the end of the day, that's what a testimony is. You are testifying to whoever's listening, one person or a million, about God's character, his faithfulness, even when we weren't. And it doesn't have to come through tragedy. Yes, it does because that's usually when God's beauty is contrasted, when we're ugly. And I know that personally. However, the sermon mom was called, called to the stand. So when you're called to the stand – you're to do one thing. You're to testify. Jesus' last words were calling us his witnesses. He didn't say, go be my lawyers and go debate and go argue and make sure people are convinced of the truth that way. No, he didn't say, go be my prosecutors. Go accuse them that aren't believing in me. Go condemn them. He didn't say, you're my judges. Make sure you have the power to render down my punishments and my sentences. He didn't even say, hey, just stay off to the side. Don't get involved with the world. Just be my jurors. He didn't say that either. 
He said, you're my witnesses. We are to be his, his mouthpiece, basically. As he would share on that stand, what would he say? So many times in life, if I can reflect, I can basically point back to his character when I'm testifying. And I think the, the church at large, the believers at large, are silent because they don't believe they have the power of a testimony. And like you just said, it, it, everybody has one. Um, just sharing your smile on a daily basis because of what God has blessed you with is a testimony. How is she always smiling when she comes into work? How is she always upbeat? How is her countenance always bright? Well, there's an opportunity for a testimony right there. Hey, let me testify. It's because of God's peace and his joy in my life. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's a testimony. However, when you're called to the stand to testify, the question is, are you equipped? Peter writes, are you, are you apologetically able to defend the hope that is in you? That's where we get the word apologetics. It's defending your Christian faith. Again, people take the lawyer position and try to defend the faith. And I've been in that position, Mom, especially when I was in prison, debating and arguing with very foolish minds. And I've learned as I engaged with them, I may have won the argument. I may have been a better lawyer defending the truth, but I lost the soul because emotions are involved. Um, hostility enter, enters in because you're trying to get your point across. And then the debate, um, decibel levels raise and at the end of the day, you may have won the argument, but you lost the soul. So I've learned that that's not exactly the biblically sound way to apologetically explain your faith. Because when Peter writes that, he says, make sure you have in that moment a defense or a reason to explain the hope that is in you. There's, there's the pause, the dramatic pause. The hope that is in you. So the idea is there's nobody asking me about hope that is in me unless they first see this hope on the outside of me, in my countenance, in, hey, my tagline, in suffering successfully, in going through an adversity that maybe have felled somebody else or dropped somebody else, yet going through it, and not delusional, but going through it with a peace about it. And I could picture Paul in the jail cell. I could picture Paul in the synagogues, in the temples, and the way he spoke and the way he interacted with people. There was a peace and a hope about him. So, of course, when people said, hey, why are you so joyful? doesn't look like your life's going in the right direction. Apparently, you're a prisoner of the state. And if I heard correctly, Paul, you're on your way to Rome to be executed. Mm. And he was able to apologetically, gently, lovingly explain this hope. Mm -hmm. And the hope that we have is God's character. It's, it's Jesus Christ. So we want to empower you listening today. Probably a different thread of, of podcasts that you're used to. We're usually dealing out um, on suffering or how to overcome tragedy or where you've been mom losing a son and then losing a youngest son myself to another greater tragedy. Today we're just saying you are equipped and empowered to share a testimony. Um, and it doesn't have to come through the very ugly things of life, though it does at times, but it doesn't have to. Well, you know, it's funny because my testimony and how I first came to know the Lord was that I had nothing in my life that you could say was uh, outward sin or some major problem. I had the best of everything in terms of um, my family life, my belief. I was a religious person. And I remember when my brother Jack uh, came to know the Lord, he came barging into our house. And now this was someone who at the time had been a bad guy. You know, he was involved with drugs. He was a fighter, you know, just a regular back in the 60s kind of guy. And I remember thinking, because I never did anything wrong, always did well in school, never cut school, always got good grades. And this guy, my brother, I'm like a junior in high school, and he comes in the house and he's like, 
we all have to be saved. You're going to go to hell if you don't know God. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I remember, ironically, he did not put down the gavel of preaching God. Very overzealously, but you know what? That's a cool thing. When you're first saved and you're excited, he wanted everybody to understand that there is something different from religion and relationship. And if you don't get it, there is a heaven and there is a hell. So it was rather blatant preaching. But ironically, after days and weeks of him hounding our family about our, quote, religion, I remember going to bed at night and actually saying this prayer. Dear God, please let him stop talking about you. It's too much. Yes. And I really believe that. And so I eventually, my testimony is being the good girl, the moral girl, the girl that did works, you know, all of that stuff, didn't get involved with things that were um, off track. I remember going to my first Bible study by force because my brother's like, you got to come, you got to hear. And I remember each time I went and each week being decimated by the word of God, my heart would start pounding. I would start realizing that all that I thought was so good about me, not that the Bible was saying it was bad, but I realized that it was really not the pathway to knowing Jesus. Right. So my testimony, when I would hear, oh, that's a drug addict, that's somebody that you know survived some crazy situation, that's someone that was suicidal, I'd sit there and go, I never had any of that, but I came to know the living God just because I came to realize that my heart was displaced. It was in the wrong position. It was not a good heart, even though all my actions were good. So it's I, I want to implore people, don't be thinking you need to have this compelling testimony, man. It's just your response to God for the first time and how that changed you. Absolutely. And who are you telling? You know, another thing was if you're called to the stand, um, the witness's objective and responsibility is to tell the truth. And you know what you say in court, tell the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, so help you God. You put your left hand on the Bible. You put your right hand in the up, in the up, upward position, swearing. So the idea for a witness, a, a follower of Jesus, is to simply do nothing more than that. It's simplified for us. Just tell what you just said. Tell the truth about God changing your life. How he broadens your perspective about religion and relationship. Now, Revelations gives us this beautiful passage. It deals with Satan, Lucifer, as he was called in the Bible, being hurled to earth and... Um, the basic accuser of the brethren, he's called. He's the one that goes around and accuses us. And to this very day, he'll stand up there and he'll accuse you for what you've done. And we have this beautiful picture of God coming down to earth to be our advocate, our lawyer. And it's Jesus. He's our defender. And he says, no, I'm going to – you don't have to open your mouth, son, daughter. Let me, let me rebuttal the accusation. And usually the idea in court would be your lawyer is very persuasive with his words. But Jesus went a step further and he laid down his life. For the sins on the piece of paper that the accuser was holding up to the judge. Now, at the end of the day, that paper, and the Bible says, was covered by the blood of Christ. So, you know, if you spill water, coffee, or, hey, blood on a piece of paper, what's going to happen? The writing is going to be blotched away. So the idea is the same paper that the, the devil, the accuser, is holding up to the judge was covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's why it says, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the words of our testimony. So if the blood is covered out, blotched out your sins, what is your testimony? Think about that. 
you're not rehashing what you've done, mm-hmm. though we sometimes think that's what we're supposed to do in a testimony. Mm-hmm. We're telling of what God has done, mm-hmm. how he came down and set me free and saved me. That's your testimony. Everybody has one. Matt Mayer has a different path to get the testimony out. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm telling of? God's great character, God's great faithfulness when I was not so faithful. And yes, it comes through some roller coaster turns and where I ended up and the devastation that I caused. But the sum all, the end result is to point everybody back to God through my story. And the encouragement today really is trying to get you to see it that way, to infuse you with that very idea that we will overcome the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and by the very words of our personal testimony. You know, and that's funny because when I was a young mom and I was raising you boys and we used to do nightly devotions, one of the things that I always wanted you to hear were the testimonies of what I would say were the gallant men in the Bible because there was character traits that I wanted you through this time of studying the life of Daniel and David and Joseph and Paul to, as young boys, maybe grasp on to their testimonies and to see how powerful God was in their life, and to realize that the God of the Bible is the same God that works in our lives today. That's right. And in fact, many of you know this, that I would try to give each of my sons a specific godly character from scriptures that I thought their life kind of emulated or tracked with them. For instance, Paul, who was very deep and and, and such a discerner. He was brilliant. Yes, with the word of God. And John, of all people, your brother, was the same way. When he was in the word, he was brilliant. He had insights and discernment Mm -hmm. that he and I would discuss. He would read the deepest of books that Rabbi Zacharias and Most people would say they're boring. Yes. And and you know what? As a mom, I always tried to read whatever books my kids were reading just because I'd like to be able to relate and talk with them about the author because I like to read. Every time John gave me a book, I swear I'd get to like chapter one and be like, oh my gosh, because it was so deep. Yes. And it forced me to think, but it also gave me such insight about him. So I would always say to John, you're Paul. You have such a discernment about who God is and the things of God. So I think even that, parents, if there's, if you have young children, it's so important for you to set these, these giants and Scripture out for them because, honestly, they're only giant because of the way they walk with God. And so when you tell your child, you can be a giant too. We can raise mighty men and women today in 2016 as they did back then. But using the Scriptures as the example to spur your child on is, is a brilliant, brilliant way to, to infuse some, you know, seeds inside them. Sure. I think God used names all throughout Scripture. He named people a certain um, nature. That's what a name means. When somebody gives you a name, it's in a nature to it. That's why when we say we pray in the name of Jesus, that's not a magical phrase that you use. Um, Pastor Matt Soak says it's not a, you know, proverbial pop soda machine where you you put in the quarters of prayer and out comes the answer. That's not the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is nature. So when you're praying in the name of Jesus, you're supposed to be praying in the nature of Jesus, in the character of Jesus. It's basically, if Jesus was here right now, tangibly, physically, how would he pray? So when I end with, in the name of Jesus, amen, I'm saying this prayer was in the character of, of God. And he's more likely to obviously answer it. He says, hey, when you pray in my name, it's already done. 
we pray amiss because we're not praying in the very nature of Christ. So the names in the Bible, as you said, you, you, you liken John to Paul. I think you've likened me to Daniel. The nature of those individuals, the character of those people, um, following them, it gives maybe a child or a student um, someone to read into and look into about their lives. And, of course, every child looks up to a sports figure or an athlete or celebrity, and they emulate that. So it's the same idea as now you're, you're raising your child, your student, your young adult, your young um, young child in the ways of the word and you know it wasn't just um without truly um asking the lord for that kind of discernment as a parent and it's funny matt when you went to prison and the people that knew that i had given you the surname of daniel and they would say oh he's a joseph because, you know, look what he's doing. And, yes, there were many similarities to what was happening while you were in prison. But in my heart, I knew at the age of 12, God gave me Daniel for you because Daniel did not bow down to peer pressure. And you were very much like that as a student, as a young student. And then you veered. But in prison, it was the same thing. You did not bow down to that culture. And so no matter how many Joseph experiences you had, there was favor. There were all kinds of things that God provided for you in that prison. You were still a Daniel. You know what's pretty cool about that story is um, it tells us after the decree went out from, it was a Darius at the time. It was Darius in Babylon. The decree went out that nobody was to pray to any other god right was that the, i forget the exact i'm, I'm mixing up no one was shadrach the- meshach abednego that was nebuchadnezzar and they were told nobody could no everybody was supposed to bow to the giant statue so in daniel's instance he wasn't supposed to pray right no praying we'll have to look into that i don't have my text before me but the idea was it says after that decree went out and daniel was aware of it what did he go do he still bowed down but it tells us facing that he did it as was his custom. Yes. Let's, let's replace the word custom. As was his consistency to do so. So it wasn't the decree went out, Mom, and all of a sudden he says, you know, I'm going to go against the system. Tomorrow, because they said I can't do it, I'm going to do that. Now here's a little story for you. We ran the Bible study in prison, which was involving out of 38 men on a housing unit, probably about 20, 25. So you got three-fourths of the tier every day gathering to pray openly and study God's word openly the system the the supervisors even the warden himself were aware that this was going on and at various times they popped in on us and commended it because they saw the piece of the tier and of course if you're working a housing unit in prison you would want the tier to be as peaceable as possible no more disruptions you don't have to walk through about fights so we were really setting the pace out of god's word to the tier life long story short one day we were praying we were all holding hands and um, a supervisor was trying to come through, but we're praying, so we're not looking up. Our eyes are closed, and I hear the supervisor cursing. So I'm thinking in my mind as my friend's praying, with our all of our hands are being – we're all holding hands in a circle – that they're yelling at somebody else. Mm-hmm. When we open our eyes um, before the prayer was even done, we notice they're yelling at us. You know, get the bleep out of the way and clear the pathway. And the guy that was praying looked at me, and I said to him, finish your prayer. And he finished his prayer with another three seconds. He said, you know, thank you, God, um, amen. And we sat down. Well, they called me off the tier. 
and they basically said we were blocking a fire lane. And you know, I very kindly and gently said, "Well, I've never seen you come on the tier when the Muslims are praying and make them move out of the way. You don't interrupt them. You just actually go around them." I said, "You come in here every day, and we're doing this." So I, I diplomatically explained the stance, which they were already aware of. But here's the reason: they were, they didn't know the the spiritual warfare that was working through them. We fight not against flesh and blood. So at the end of the day, you know what the, the response was? They moved me. They moved me that day. They moved me. You know where they moved me, Mom? They moved me back downstairs in the prison, which was the first housing unit I, I, got, I got on. Not only did they move me, but you know what the echo from the top was? Nobody's allowed to meet and congregate openly on the tiers anymore and do a Bible study. I remember hearing that going, what? Not allowed to do a Bible study? Anybody else can congregate. Gangs can congregate in the back of the tier. Hey, it's considered congregating when they're watching TV. 20 inmates watching TV. The Muslims will pray openly, congregating, right? But now the Christians, they're saying, cannot have a Bible study. So what do you think I did the first day downstairs? I did what I was accustomed to do, what I had been doing. I gathered around on my new unit, and I invited everybody to a Bible study. So was that me going against the system? No. The Bible is very explicit about when you're already doing something, you stay, you stay doing it. So when the call goes out publicly, nationally, hey, um, the government's shutting down the name of Jesus. Don't mention it. That means if you haven't used that name for the past year, don't go into school or your workplace tomorrow and use it because, hey, you're just looking for trouble. But if you've been using it, then keep doing it. That's a great point. Yeah, it is a huge point. We're about closing down our mark, Mom. Looking at the time. Um, we started with testimonies, how everybody has one. The idea of being a witness in the court of Christianity, just testifying to the character of God, whether it's through ugly circumstances, whether it's through good, blessed circumstances, or whether it's through bad circumstances. All of the above, testifying to the character of God. Um, parents, we hope you can take some of the insights from my mother, Andrea, about naming your children after biblical characters, have them look into it, and adopt that nature. Ultimately, they were... Um, types of Christ in the Old Testament, and they took over Christ's character in the New Testament as they followed him. That's the point. So we like to end all shows by reminding you the clearest testimony you have isn't the one you're sharing verbally. It's mainly the one you're living visually. And then when somebody asks you, you can give account for it apologetically. And also, Psalms 46.10, be still. Be still and know that God is in control. We hope you were blessed by today's show. Thank you very much. Which way are you going? Yahweh, you don't know him. I answer his calling. Y'all people ain't knowing. He breathed in my lungs and spared me from Satan. And now that I love even my loved ones, they hate. Waiting patiently, pacing for me to fall on my face. But I'm falling in faith. Pardon me for his grace. There's a battle out there, spiritly in this realm. There's a God up in heaven. That's the devil in hell. That's the mother, she's crying, cause her babies are dying. And the father in jail, with the son by his side. But our father, he loves us, unlike any of us. Gave his only beloved, 316 on the cross. I know where you're going, if you live in that light. Though we're perfect among us, but in the dark we are light. Thank you, Jesus, I love you. Help me spread the good news. If you live in a lie, you ain't gon' die with the truth.
know where you're going. 